Welcome to The Grizzly Beat, a podcast of Grizzly Times and Louisa Wilcox, where we interview scientific experts, managers, Native Americans, writers, and others to share their knowledge, perspectives, and experience. This comes at a time of enormous interest in the grizzly bear's future as the government proposes to remove federal protections and citizens are asking important questions. We hope the information shared here will help listeners shape their own answers. Welcome to the Grizzly Beat. This is Louisa Wilcox, and we're here today with Jack Elsey. Jack is the Chief Natural and Cultural Resources Manager for the North Cascades National Park Service Complex, and he's here today to talk about the possibility of recovery and restoration of the grizzly bear to the North Cascades. Uh, Welcome, Jack. Yeah, well, thank you, Louisa. Glad to be here. So, Jack, maybe you can share a bit about the history of the grizzly bear in the North Cascades and why so many of them disappeared. Yeah, so so the grizzly bear, of course, has, has long been on the landscape here for millennia. It was, you know, the North Cascades ecosystem is just part of the the broad range of the, the grizzly bear that was on the landscape before European settlement. So that, so they've been here for millennia. Um, you know, they, uh, there's indications that uh, when Hudson's Bay Company arrived in this area, early 1800s, they were, you know, heavily trapping out grizzly bears. So, so they were here pre-settlement, uh, clearly. Uh, and, uh, and more recently then, um, you know, have been, have been struggling to, to keep a population here because of all the uh, human-induced mortality that has occurred. But, but they've long been here on the landscape in the North Cascades. So, um, so what is the current status of grizzly bears in the North Cascades? Well, so um, we only believe we, we we believe that we do not have a currently a reproducing population. Uh, the last known uh, reproduction that occurred in the ecosystem, and, and when I say the ecosystem, I'm talking the North Cascades ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about 10,000 square miles uh, south of the border with Canada, and, and then of course. The ecosystem itself naturally extends into Canada, oh, roughly another 3,800 square miles. So, so quite a large ecosystem on, you know, on par size-wise with, with those back in the Rockies, uh, Yellowstone or Northern Continental Divide. So, so a large ecosystem. Um, it, it, the best uh, information we have now is that the last known reproducing female was sighted in uh, about 20 years ago, 1996. Uh, so it's been some time, and uh, we certainly have been trying hard to document if there are grizzly bears out there, and, and we believe there's perhaps an occasional straggler uh, that comes down, perhaps from B.C., uh, but um, no reproduction. You know, we've had a lot of good research work, uh, especially in what are likely the, the best parts of the habitat of the ecosystem using, you know, the hair snare uh, techniques to to try and detect grizzly bears, and quite an extensive effort by uh, local biologist Bill Gaines, Andrew Lyons, and folks, um, and just no uh, for at least three plus years of intensive effort, uh, not a single grizzly bear was picked up in the in the hair snare work. We we do get an occasional sighting. Um, just north of the border, including even last year, a female, a few miles north of the border, but uh, there's just no 
no known reproduction going on. So uh, today's today's status is uh, there might be a few that, that wander through, but there's no known reproduction going on. So, so what led the federal government to discussion of of importation or reintroduction of grizzly bears to the North Cascades? Well, so um, you know, when the uh, a little bit little bit of background when the when the National Grizzly Bear Recovery Plan was written, uh, North Cascades was one of the areas considered to be included for recovery, and in fact, by about uh, 1991, uh, that decision was made that there would be recovery of grizzly bears here in the North Cascades. The Interagency Grizzly Bear Committee uh, made that decision. Uh, by a few years later, um, 1997, we finally had the the North Cascades Ecosystem Recovery Chapter completed, uh, which outlined what steps, tasks, you know, would, would be needed to, to try and recover the bear here. Uh, we, we have completed a number of those, or at least have worked extensively on a number of those. You know, the research needed to, to document the habitat is still suitable, for example, that foods exist here for the grizzly bear, uh, education and outreach, uh, you know, we've got quite a large uh, recreating public here who, who love these mountains um, up and down the, the Cascades. Um, and, and, you know, um, sanitation, uh, you know, uh, waste management, garbage management, and so on. So a lot of that had been done at the, the last key task to furthering the recovery of the bear here um, uh, was to complete an EIS, go through the NEPA process, so that we could go to the public with what are the, you know, perhaps the best ways to go about uh, how will we, we will recover grizzly bears here. And so that that willpower, that, that political will with the different agencies and the funding to complete an EIS, you know, which is not a, it's a fairly costly process, that, that all came together in uh, late 2014, and by early 2015 we started the EIS process. So, so all that reflects, uh, you know, that through uh, the Endangered Species Act and recovery processes that uh, this ecosystem is one of those um, places on the map in the West where grizzly recovery was identified to occur. So, so that, you know, that's kind of the, uh, you know, the legal side uh, related to Endangered Species Act of why uh, it's going on here in this ecosystem, but, you know, Along with that, of course, is uh, the idea of, you know, here's an ecosystem, large ecosystem, missing uh, some key species that have been lost due to, you know, human-induced mortality. And, uh, you know, mission of the National Park Service, for example, and, and you know, the desires to, uh, to restore species as part of the natural heritage of the state of Washington and so on, all that kind of comes together as to why um, why the consideration to recover grizzly bears back here in this ecosystem. And then so we're, we're, little, you know, we're about a year and a half into that process now. Right. So how is the public responding to the prospect of grizzly bears? I mean, you're obviously early in this uh, environmental impact statement process, which means you've gone out and met with communities. What what kind of response are you getting? Yeah, so um, again, we started in early 2015, uh, with, you know, formally anyway, 
Um, we certainly have talked about grizzly bear recovery for decades here, but uh, the formal process began a year and a half ago. We had public scoping in March of 2015, um, several locations around the ecosystem for public meetings, and got about 2,900 comments as part of that process. Uh, uh, you know, briefly to summarize that, broad support for it, um, mm -hmm. you know, around, uh, you know, from, from those who commented both in the public setting as well as uh, through the Internet. Um, you know, some, certainly some concerns, however, uh, not unexpected. Um, and, and so, um, you know, we certainly have noted, and, and, you know, those concerns in general uh, focus on, uh, you know, personal safety when you're out hiking or horseback riding or, or doing whatever in, in the mountains and the ecosystem. Um, uh, interesting, you know, concern about will there be loss of access to, um, huh. into the ecosystem. People right. are, are very interesting concerned if their favorite road or trail is going to be closed uh, to support grizzly bear recovery. Uh, and then, you know, concerns uh, livestock depredation. So. A number of things like this that, again, not unexpected, um, but and so we have been, you know, in particular uh, talking about those types of things when we do get out with the public and certainly we'll address them in the EIS. Um, but it sounds like nothing insurmountable. Uh, no, no, I don't think so. And, and I, you know, the, this ecosystem as I often say, benefits from the experiences of, uh, you know, Yellowstone and, and Northern Continental Divide, Glacier, uh, Flathead, Bob Marshall, all that, Be because of, you know, those ecosystems were lucky never to completely lose a grizzly bear, always have had them, always have had people living and working and playing, recreating in that those ecosystems, and so... That, you know the the good and bad, the the difficulties and and successes that have occurred there. Um, you know we we can grab some of that, learn from that, and and try and apply it here. And, you know the challenges is that that we often see is is trying to provide the context of all the number of people and numbers of grizzly bears that are in those ecosystems, and you know it's working there, and and trying to uh, trying to uh, get folks to look at and, and ponder, you know, if that can work here. And, of course, we believe it can, but uh, we, we can draw from those other ecosystems as, in, as we try and, and work through some of these concerns about, you know, personal safety and so on. Right. And, of course, technology has helped improve uh, our ability to protect ourselves and our livestock and our property a great deal with, like, electric fence and, um, you know, bear spray that wasn't spray. around, you know, that long ago, and, yeah. uh, of course, a return in some areas to uh, grazing with the assistance of guard dogs, livestock guardian dogs, you know, a history yep. that dates back to Europe. So it seems that there's quite a bit of positive examples that can be utilized from the Yellowstone and Northern Continental Divide. Yeah, there are, and uh, and so we are, we are trying to capitalize on that. I mean, there, there, is, there is some inherent... Um, uh, mistrust of government uh, right. that that is out there and um, and again not unexpected and so that's a little bit tougher not to crack uh, responding to some of that but it, it's you know the whole process uh, the way we are approaching this uh, and and we being 
you know, there's four agencies involved in this. The, the two lead agencies are the Park Service and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and we have a couple of cooperating agencies, the U.S. Forest Service, and then uh, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. So, uh, you know, our approach is to to be transparent and, and just put out there, here's, um, here's what we know and here's what we expect. So, again, drawing heavily from those other ecosystems. So. And you work collaboratively with nonprofits as well that are doing quite a bit of outreach. Um, Chris Morgan's group, uh, I think formerly known as Grizzly Bear Outreach Project. Um, maybe you can talk about, a little bit about how that works. Yeah, well, so it... it you know they they play uh, uh, they, they play uh, uh, their role. Uh, we the, the EIS um, you know NEPA process is of course uh, very formal, very legal, and you know we we stress that uh, there's there needs to be a very clear separation between what the agencies are responsible for, uh, which is to you know pursue and develop uh, the, the EIS process and. And work with that. Part of that certainly is outreach and education. Uh, the, the, you know, a role that the some of the NGOs are choosing to play is to also, uh, I would categorize it as you know, outreach and education, uh, doing things with their resources and access to uh, to the public and and others, uh, you know, in their own uh, way. Uh, um, so reaching their membership or just the public in general. So they. So, so it certainly is helpful to the process in that others are, in particular, trying to talk to the public about the facts of of grizzly bear ecology and, and recovery and so on, while at the same time uh, clearly um, indicating that they're doing this of their own you know, their own, uh, following their own interests and, and program. But, but it, it works, uh, you know, all hopefully toward the, the eventual goal of grizzly recovery here. Yeah, so, so Jack, maybe you can share with us your thoughts about the timeline and next steps. So where are we with the uh, completion of this environmental impact statement and when might recovery occur and how many bears would be brought in, for example, over what period of time? Okay, lots of questions there. So, so the the process, you know, an EIS is typically about three years, um, although not, uh, you know, it often can be delayed by just you know events and and as information needs to be considered. Uh, we're about a year and a half into that. Um, we we perhaps will be a little bit slow getting the draft EIS out now that we've thought this summer, but it's probably a little bit now more toward later fall uh, because we just need to properly dig into some issues um, a little bit deeper. So uh, so this fall, late this fall, we hope we will go to the public with a draft EIS in which we would lay out, you know, in particular what alternatives we believe are, are viable to consider for recovery. Um, you know, I need to stress that uh, the alternatives to recovery uh, range from, you know, the no action, which is essentially what we've been doing for 20 years, which is managing this ecosystem, you know, in particular the habitat, as if there are grizzly bears here. And again, there's only a, a few, we believe. Um, but but do nothing any more proactive than that. Uh, so grizzly, in other words, grizzly bears would have to come in on their own. Uh, and so, and then a number of 
um, you know, more action alternatives uh, as to how grizzly bear recovery would occur. Uh, and, and so th those will be laid out in, in the uh, draft EIS. And, uh, you know, there was an EIS completed um, for grizzly bear recovery in the Bitterroot ecosystem. I believe it, it was completed by around two, the year 2000. It's been a useful uh, example of, of consideration of, you know, what, what might be possibilities for alternatives. So, uh, you know, we certainly have looked at that uh, for some ideas. But um, so, you know, so that process will play out yet later this fall, and the hope would be that um, by the end of uh, 2017, we would have the formal record of decision. You know, that that legal decision that that says here's how we're going to implement grizzly bear recovery in the North Cascades. So we'll see. We'll see if we can hold to that schedule. We're, we're hopeful. So what do you, uh, I mean, along the lines of actual recovery steps, I mean, you're talking about importing bears to the ecosystem, um, say, five bears in a number of years, a year and for five years, that's what Idaho was going to do. Is that kind of along the line of what you're thinking? Uh, uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was at the Bitterroots we're, we're talking about is right. uh, for, for one, I think it was actually their preferred alternative was to bring in five bears a year, for five years, <clears throat> excuse me, to establish essentially a, you know, a 25 bear founding population, and and then grow grow the the population from there. That that's a you know we'll certainly we'll consider something like that. Um, you know, bringing bears in. There's there's different things to consider there, but that likely will be uh, at least one of the alternatives considered. Uh, is to <clears throat> move some bears in. The, the fine detail or details of that are still being worked out. But uh, so some something like that will certainly be, you know, in general, what will be considered. Um, you know, it's not an easy that's not an easy task to think about doing that and uh, moving bears like that. But that's um, I I. I, I I kind of referenced earlier the no action um, and that yeah. that would imply that bears would get here on their own. I, I, I'd like to comment a bit on that because that, we certainly hear yeah. that a yeah. lot from people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why don't you just, you know, why government don't you just sit back and if you're managing the habitat and you've got such good habitat, which we believe right. you do, why aren't they showing up? And, and the simple answer is, is, uh, you know, we've lost that connectivity to other populations. There, there are actually right. bears <clears throat> over in the Selkirks, um, as, as I think you mentioned earlier, but, you know, there's a big uh, separation of that ecosystem to the North Cascades and a lot of agriculture and, and human activity in between. Right. Uh, to the north of us, is, which is where most people think grizzly bears would naturally uh, move down from, um, is also um, very, their population to the north of us is, is very, very limited. And there's been development and resource extraction and road development and, and so on there. And so we've pretty much lost that connectivity uh, to the north as well. And, and those really are the only options for connectivity, right, right. north to BC or east to the Selkirk. So um, again, we see an occasional there in, in British Columbia north of us, but nothing 
has led to, to um, reproducing bears down in the North Cascades. Well, a number of years ago, um, the British Columbian government was talking about restoration of bears on their side of the North Cascades, and that fell through, I think, for political reasons. Um, is there hope that the Canadians will step up along with the U.S., North Cascades Park, and others to recover this population as a transboundary population? Yeah, I mean, they're certainly talking about that, I know. Um, uh, th th it's interesting that... Um, we, we often talk, you know, a, a different example is an analogy here. In this same ecosystem, North Cascades, we are presently uh, restoring fisher populations, and, and we're getting those from British Columbia. Uh, and so British Columbia is helping us immensely uh, in that process. At the same time with grizzly bears now, you know, they've made the comment that the recovery of the grizzly bear in southern BC uh, may depend on what happens down here. You know, that they, they would be looking perhaps to benefit from us. So, because, you know, they just have, they have their own set of hurdles uh, with, with the, um, uh, with the habitat and, and, and so on. And, you know, it's just, it's, it just is. It's what has happened over time there. But I, but I know we, we work uh, with, with the uh, BC um, bear biologist uh, as, you know, he's, he engages with us on this EIS, for example, uh, and, uh, and we certainly are interested in what happens across the border. So, so yes, I think longer term uh, there is that hope, uh, and, and that will have to play out on their side of the border, um, you know, as it can. I certainly can't speak for them, but they right. certainly are, there, there certainly is that interest. Right. So... Back to Idaho for a second. Um, as you mentioned, in 2002, the government's efforts to restore grizzly bears to the central Idaho Selway Bitterroot ecosystem, which was a vast ecosystem, were aborted um, for political reasons. Then Idaho Governor Dirk Kempthorne, who went on to be the Secretary of Interior, called grizzly bears massive flesh-eating carnivores that weren't welcome in the states, in the state of Idaho. So how do you think, how's the government trying to avoid a similar outcome in the case of the Cascades? Well, um, <laughs> trust me, we, we are well aware of what happened there. And, uh, and you know, we've, that, that those circumstances cross our mind. But so really the, you know, the, the best approach we believe we can take is to, uh, again, is to be transparent and upfront with what recovery here might be, what an established or establishing a population here might look like and, and, and be and how it would be managed uh, with, with all the concerns of human um, conflicts uh, involved. Uh, again, uh, I think we benefit from the experience of, of Yellowstone and, and the Northern Continental Divide. And uh, I mean, I'm frequently quoting, uh, you know, the number of grizzly human incidents in Yellowstone, because they have such a nice record of, of information on those lines. So to provide the context of, of how extremely rare uh, these, you know, the bad uh, incidents happen, and which is not at all to dismiss that sometimes bad things happen. But right. in the context of, of uh, people being out in the woods, in the wilderness, in parks, forests, whatever, uh, you know, bad things can happen. And uh, in terms of how often that happens related to grizzly bears, it's, it's extremely rare. And so, uh, you know, trying to 
trying to provide context like that uh, uh, is important. And you know, so much of that comes down to the education and outreach. Uh, you mentioned earlier there's you know the newer technologies of bear spray. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that people can do to limit their uh, the chance of a, of a bad encounter with a grizzly bear, you know, hike with groups, make noise, uh, store your food properly. So much of it is related to, to food storage. Right. And, and we also talk about, you know, we one thing we have been active in here for, for a few decades is because we certainly have a, a ample black bear population, mm -hmm. uh, is that the same, you know, most of the things you do to keep your food away from black bears directly translates to the same with grizzly bears. And so... Right. If you're backpacking or, or whatever, and so it's it's not like uh, the recreating public, um, you know, doesn't have a clue or, or experience about uh, these things in with wildlife in 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 the mountains. Um, so much of it can readily carry over to to working with grizzly bears. So, right. so you know, having said that, again, we we are very cognizant that at times uh, bad things happen. It's unfortunate that the media sensationalizes it so much. Uh, right. But it does, but they do. But uh, we, we just are, are trying to present the facts and, and um, hope that um, that folks will, will recognize that the, they can uh, safely be out in grizzly bear country. Mm -hmm. So what role could the North Cascades ecosystem potentially have in the context of overall recovery of grizzly bears in over 48 states, where we have most of the populations or all the rest of the populations in the northern Rockies. Uh, do you see any relationship or, or North Cascades as being isolated forever? And what, you know, what, what kind of role would, do you see the Cascades playing in the overall debate? Well, the, you know, I mean, there's kind of the legal side of things. You know, recovery here will certainly help. Uh, in the overall recovery of the species, so, uh, the species under the Endangered Species Act. Uh, so there's there's that, but I, I guess I would uh, mostly, um, you know, uh, say that that re recovery here is, is a benefit, you know, biologically, ecologically, to the viability of the species. If mm -hmm. you know, certainly the there's a lot of bears in the northern Rockies, relatively speaking, but. Uh, and, to, and, you know, they're relatively secure. But to, to have another sustainable, uh, sustaining population separated from those would seem to uh, be a benefit to the species as well. So, you know, so there's, so there's that part that just for the overall health and viability of the grizzly bear in the lower 48, it, it makes sense to have multiple uh, viable populations. So I think we could... Recovery here, in particular, would help uh, along that line. Right. So, as you mentioned before, the North Cascades is a vast place. Um, the whole ecosystem is on a par of, like, the, the glacier ecosystem or the Yellowstone ecosystem. So, best-case scenario, what do you think recovery of grizzly bears could look like? I mean, in the sense of how many bears do you think we might be able to support with the public lands that's there? Sure. Um, well, um, I guess the best case scenario would be that in in likely several decades, and this is a, a very uh, slow, long-term process to to get us there. Just and that's largely related to 
as I, I think you well know, Louisa, the, uh, the slow reproductive <laughs> capability of grizzly bears in, in general. But so it's going to be a long process. But um, the about 20 years ago, when the North Cascades Recovery Plan was written, uh, the best estimates at that time, which was largely based on you know just the sheer size acreage of, of the ecosystem and some sense of home range sizes. Um, I think you know the, the best estimate there was two to four hundred bears. Mm-hmm. But we have more recently had a a, a modeling effort um, by some uh, local bear biologists who looked at the ecosystem, uh, in particular the you know habitat quality, overlaid that with the road system because, right. as we all know, roads are particularly hard on grizzly bears. Yeah. Uh, and so. So and then tried to build in a bit about uh, well a few other things, but but then you know the the average home range sizes for grizzly bears and such, and and the numbers come out fairly similar. So it, it's hard you know it's hard to fill out a number, but I so so at this point we're still saying that 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 uh, estimate from 20 years ago is probably you know within range. And, and that's a that's again many decades down the road, and right. everything goes as we we hoped it would go. Because right. it, it would appear the habitat can support that number of bears. Right. Well, I wish you the best of luck, and look forward to the to the next chapter. Yeah, it's an exciting uh, process and exciting times, and trying to. Um, Trying to complete some more recovery uh, of uh, species here in this ecosystem. What a wonderful idea. So this is Louisa Wilcox with the Grizzly Times, and uh, we're here with Jack Elstie from the North Cascades National Park Service Complex. Thank you very much.